you gotta handle the rock with flair and rhythm if you wanna be judged on wood grain and concrete courts in New York. This ain't no nickel and dime. It's dribbling dimes where scoring never looked this good. I guarantee it. But was your reputation built from the playground up? Or did you call next when they took that ish? Or cause you weren't as fast as police and ambulance sirens? Or as loud as Mr. Softy ice cream? No. You see, this is New York City hoops in prime time. As beautiful as the skyline, it's dribbling dimes. Uh, what's up, y'all? This is Emilio the Poet. Yo, what's good? This is Manny Digital, and you're back to the Dribbling Dimes. Again, quarantine edition. Today, we are in the presence of greatness. I know, that might that might be too much flair right now, but yo, listen. Um, <laughs> um, my man hails from the stomping grounds of legendary Kenny the Jet Smith, Kenny Anderson, and even hip-hop legend, the rapper N.O.R.E., that's left right Queens, ladies and gentlemen, in left case you right. didn't know. Uh, he, he, he got all city honors playing high school ball here in the city uh, at McClancy High School. He came up with the Aim High AAU squad, if I'm not mistaken, if, if my research is correct. Uh, he, he then went on and played at Hampton University and then transferred to Texas State University, which I think went by another name at the time, mm. right? We'll talk, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, he's currently the proprietor of Basketball Illustrated Reports and also a Houston native. That's what he calls home today. But we just talked about it for a second. He's not giving up his New York card for nothing. My man, Dane Irvin, is here with us today. Make some noise. Fellas, <laughs> what's going on? Good afternoon. I, I, I do because I pride myself on, on being right and exact. Um, I, I, I don't ever want to take claim for something that I didn't do. Okay. I was an all Brooklyn Queens player. I was an all Queens player, but I can't say that in my obituary, I was a, a, a New York city, all city. Player. Okay. So I don't, I don't want, I was all state. Okay. I was that I was all state, but as we know in the nineties, you know, people cared more about what you did in New York city than you did in the state. So it was funny. Like when I found out I made all state, I'm like, eh. I, I wanted to be all city. <laughs> so you were so you were all Brooklyn Queens, you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was all Brooklyn Queens and I was all state, but I wasn't all city. All city. And it's, well, it's weird because like in Texas, they don't look at all Houston or they don't look at all Dallas. Mm -hmm. People want to be all state. That's fine. And I'm like, we we never cared about that in New York. I mean, even now I was I was teasing Tiny Morton a couple of days ago where he has a bunch of city championships, but he only has four state championships. And it's like, he was like, I don't care about the state. Like, people want to win the city championship. And again, the city that we all come from, the all, one that we all call home and we love dear to our hearts, um, it, it, it means that much more when you walk away with a city title, on whether it's a Catholic league or it's a public league. So, Do you um, think, uh, so th this is a good point, and I know this year we didn't get a chance to see it because of the coronavirus, but this was going to be the first year that the state championship was going to be held in for mm -hmm. at Fordham, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I know you keep your ear to the street and you're very in tune with, obviously in, around the nation, but New York, especially mm -hmm. just because, you know, what it holds dear to you. I think personally, I think that tide is going to turn um, if they continue to have the state championship in the city, because mm -hmm. I think that's what was missed all those years. Right. The powerhouses 
without a doubt came out of New York City for for decades. And if you now host that final in the city and you bring whoever the you know the next best teams are into the city, the significance I think becomes more because it's yeah it's, oh, of course because I th- I think when guys used to you know travel up to Glen Falls, it was a different. Um, like probably for once in people's lives, like it felt like a road game. I mean, I I, I remember my my junior year um, when Chrysler King played Lincoln, and um, you're talking about two. They're playing for the state championship, two city teams, but there was no real you know advantage to either because neither had a following that went up to Glen Falls. So, and that's actually something I even currently deal with where I am now, where crowd participation means a lot. To, to, to youth basketball. Um, some of the best atmospheres when we think about the city, well, whether it's, you know, whether it's the legendary ISA, some of the best games ever, it's people that was cramming to get in the gym, whether it was Rucker Park, whether it was, you know, Kingdom, whether it was, you know, up in Dykeman, whatever, like the energy that crowds bring, it, it, it takes players to another level. And when you have empty gyms, it has the reverse effect. So, um, like here in Houston, they have some of the biggest field houses. I'm talking about kids in regular high school games, some of the most legendary schools out this way, um, whether it's, you know, Jack Yates is Phyllis Wheatley High School. They play at games where it might be 17 people in the gym. Nah. And it's like, it just has a... There's no energy. A, yeah, it has a drag on and it's hard to like, especially these kids are a different breed of kids. It's just different. And I think it doesn't prepare for the next level. Whereas I think that's why what made New York so special, and it's still to this day for the real special ones that do make it out and go on to higher levels, it's when you play in some of these Gersh, when you play in some of these platforms where the energy in the park and people are standing on the court and they're screaming and they're talking back and forth, that prepares you to go to some of the biggest arenas in college basketball and perform at a high level. And I think that's what that's the one tattoo that New Yorkers as a whole we all have, you know, once we leave the city, like we're prepared to play on any stage in college basketball, professional basketball overseas that um, some other people are not ready for. Like they did. They, they get the bright light fright. And, and a, a New Yorker, you, you rarely see that. You rarely see a New Yorker not step up to the plate when the lights are on. So <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, a, you know, it's a great point. I wanted to say, I think that, um, yeah, yeah, great sharing. Um, as far as the city and the state distinction, my thing is like I feel like at once upon a time the, the 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 amount of talent that was in the city was such that I feel like you didn't need the state. I feel like that I could have be. And I know for me, I didn't even it's until you mentioned it, it until recently. I didn't even think about attending state championships as opposed to city championships. Like right. I would city championship was my championship. My, the season was over after. I didn't want to go. I didn't even think about state. I didn't I'm, think I'm, about I'm 42 years old, and outside of that Lincoln Chrysler King game, which came on TV, I've never been to Glen Falls. <laughs> Heard about it. You know, you, you read it in the paper, but I never went. Now, mind you, here it is. I've been in Texas now over 15 years, and I've probably been to 12 state championships. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, I don't I don't look to go to the – so here they do regionals, and you coming out of the Houston region, Dallas region, San Antonio, and the kind of West Texas region – I don't go to those, which would be equivalent to a city championship. I don't go to those. I just wait to go to San Antonio to see the entire state championship. So it's funny because every every state does it different. Um, and I think with, with New York, that's what made us special. 
that, yeah, we, I mean, call it arrogance, pride, I don't know, but, like, we held, like, to walk around saying you were a city champion, that held a lot of weight compared to, you know, D.C. does it one way, California does it another way, Chicago does it another way, so um, that that's 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 us, you know what I'm saying, and I can live with that, I'm cool with that. So, so, <laughs> so tell us about growing up in left rack and finding basketball like i mean how did that happen when, when, you know left rack city is one square mile um i love that y'all call it left rack city by the way yeah it's phenomenal um and it's just it, it was always rich in basketball talent uh, i think one thing that that cannot be forgotten and it's uh, it's often forgotten um of course we're, we're known for what kenny smith has done um what kenny anderson has done and currently hamadou diallo but um People don't understand that, like the Godfather, the forefather was Larry McNeil. Mm. Larry McNeil was a six nine, six ten forward. He played in the NBA. He actually still holds a record to this day. God bless his soul. He passed away um, some time back, but he holds the record for the most consecutive field goals made without a miss. And it's funny because the year Serge Ibaka, when they made it to the finals, he almost broke it. And I was nervous. I was watching, and I was like, "Man, I hope like Larry Mack. He went to Marquette, played for the um, I want to say it's Al McGuire, one of the McGuire brothers, but he played at Marquette, and he played in in Kansas City with Tiny Archibald. And Larry McNeil, I mean, you, you do your homework on him. He was he was a known legend. He was the first. So Larry Mack was first. Wow. Then came Kenny Smith. Then came Kenny Anderson, and then um, so many others: Tali Brown, um, Kamani Young. Uh, we had uh, Brian Dunstan. Brian Dunstan is, is is the nephew of Sean Dunstan, legendary shortstop for the Chicago Cubs. Brian Dunstan got a shot at the league with, with the Los Angeles Lakers. So we've had not just a, a, a tremendous amount of talent that come from our neighborhood, but like once the path was set, I, I think, you know, because Kenny Smith had the bells and whistles of being a McDonald All-American and going to North Carolina playing for legendary Dean Smith, it went from there. Um, the, the best thing that we had um, – was 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 a mentor to us all and he goes by the name of Vincent Smith. Um he's the older brother of Kenny yep. and um Kenny Smith and he took everyone under his wing. And um he's someone that you know I owe my life to and I, I could never ever pay back. Um glad to still have him here with me. He lives currently on the West Coast but I speak to him as often as I can um just to share you know the knowledge of of how to guide through this. And and you talking about someone who did it with a pure heart, and he never did it with um, any ill intention. He never did it um, with any motive other than making sure that we all went to college for free. Now, if you turned out to be a pro, that was great. That was but, extra. Exactly. But like he had so many guys that he had some go pro, he had some that didn't, and he never he never wavered on the love of any of us. And um, it was just his teachings. And 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 when I saw the power that he had early on, um, it, it it taught me that if I don't make it as a professional, that there there is a life for me somewhere in this sport. How and, uh, old how old were you when you came to that realization? Like when you because and you see it. I mean, throughout the decades, you you see this, but I think now it's more ever present. I think than than probably ever. There's no it's it's tunnel vision to the league. Like that's everybody's thing, right? They're not, they're bypassing college in a lot of cases. I mean, that's not the reality for a lot of these kids, but they're thinking like one and done, like, yeah, I'm, right. I'm that dude. Um, 
it sounds like you were relatively young when you came to the realization like, okay, if if I don't make it to the league, if that was your aspiration, there's other opportunities. And Vincent seems to have like the, op- you know, can help facilitate some of that. Right. So, I mean, you're talking about, I tell people all the time, I, I could never take the title at this point of like a historian of the game, whether it be New York or just as a whole, um, because there's still so many legends that are living to this day that they have that title. You know, Vincent being one, Tom Kachowski being another. Um, but for me, I'm still a student. And I was always a student of the game that if, if we wasn't in the park playing, if I didn't have practice, um, I would probably be at his house because um, my best friend was his stepson and we would be watching game film. We would be breaking things down. We'd be listening to um, games on television and seeing the holes in different people's games and, you know, rewinding things and bringing it back. Um, and it just, it was a constant badgering in my mind. Um, my older brother, um, Dylan Irvin, um, he played when he was freshman, sophomore, junior, um, eventually left the city. He went up to Redemption Christian Academy up in uh, Troy, New York. Um, I was always following him around. So you talking about as a shorty, you talking, I'm five years younger than my brother. So when he's coming up 13, 14, here I am, I'm learning about the land of Antiguas, um, my man, um, Rasul Salahuddin up in, um, I want to say he's from Yonkers or he's from or the Bronx area even, mm. but, um, seeing guys like him at Gaucho's gym, Adrian Autry, Brian Reese, seeing all these guys at a young age and just seeing where they were going. So it was jarring my memory. It was making me understand who was who and what was what seeing legendary programs like Riverside and Gaucho's, um, played a short stint with Riverside, traveled within the BCI, played, Played also with Artie Cox, who ran BQ Express, which was like, they were like a subsidiary of Riverside Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Artie Cox and Kenny Pretlow did a phenomenal job with that program. Um, and pretty much had all the kids in Brooklyn and Queens that eventually played with Riverside. They came through Artie Cox and Kenny Pretlow. He, so he, he was like, the, early on, he was like the G League for, for, the, for the Hawks. Damn near, exactly. And, and it's crazy because every time when we did, like when we weren't traveling and we played them, a lot of times we beat them because they always did want to play with Kenny P and Audie Cox. And uh, I know, I know Kenny's doing a great job at Lauren tech and um, Audie's over at Christ the King and, and those guys, they deserve their flowers. Cause when you, when you look at the talent that they had and the players that they had, um, they, they touched a lot. So it, it, it was the one thing with, whether it was playing with aim high, Vincent Smith, Kevin Jackson, Pierre Turner, or it was BQ express with Kenny Pretlow and Audie Cox. Um, even going back to CYO, um, I had Leslie Lance, who's from the um, Astoria area. Well, East Elmhurst area. He's responsible for guys like Derek Phelps, Speedy Claxton, um, Corey Underwood, Darnell Childs, um, a lot of great guys from that area. Um, the one thing I was telling someone before, regardless who you played for, the difference between then and now was regardless who you played for, everyone's message remained the same. Uh, that's, that's key. It was to be disciplined. It was to get an education through the game of basketball. It wasn't about the league. It wasn't about getting a dollar. It wasn't about, you know, getting Ma Duke's rent paid like adults did what adults had to do for the kids. But kids were allowed to be kids. And and I think that's what's missing now across the country, not just New York, not just Texas, across the country. You have so many kids that want to be in adult conversations. They want to be around, like, stay in a child's place. And, and it said with respect and it said with love. but. Like some kids have to stay in the child's place and they have to understand what a child is and isn't supposed to do. And, um, but, 
I just wanted to say real quick, man. First of all, um, as far as being a historian or not, I think you you further the historian conversation because you're adding to history. Mm -hmm. Before this conversation, admittedly, I wouldn't have known of guys prior, as far as as far as known, and I know there's a lot more players like Mark Jackson, Kenny Anderson, but I'm talking about like how you were stating about who gets their flowers. You're talking about Kenny Smith. You're talking about Kenny Anderson, Ross right. Strickland. I, I personally wouldn't have known names prior to that as far as from a big scale. And I, yeah. again, I mentioned Mark Jackson again because I understand he's big for me. But you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? So right. I think that's I, I want to commend you, first of all. I want to kind of give you that those flowers because – you, you, we further that. We're, you're the mentor now. You're the coach mm -hmm. now. You're, you're the overseer basically. Because if you don't speak up and people like yourself don't speak up, and the it kind of history is kind of in vain almost, you know. Because I, right. I mentioned true. earlier, some people don't know who Rod Strickland is, and that's un that's unfortunate because I mean, as they say, if you if you don't know where you came from, you, you can't know where you're going, or or the past is destined to repeat itself, and um. It's it's information that's out there. You know, you're talking about a lot of individuals that are still alive that you can walk up to and have these conversations with. And um, but it, it it's the I don't know if it's Generation Z. I don't know if it's the millennials. Like they just have a they have a different way of respecting history. Mm -hmm. Their history, because I believe with social media and the platforms, is very short. It's it's not long, right. it's not fast, it's not wide, and they don't care to have it vast or wide. But it 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 always eventually catches up with them, and it probably it probably nips them in the butt in the in the, in a bad way instead of understanding you know not offending the wrong person. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Like, yeah. you, you never want to offend. That's one of the forty eight laws of power. You never want to offend the wrong person, and and, right. I, and that's one of probably the biggest. Uh, faults of, of the newer generation is that they don't care who they offend. So you almost you can almost respect their 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 brash and their brazen ways, but at the same time, it's like you 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 can't be you know disrespectful because you know you, you never know who you're talking to. So um but I, I think early on I, I would probably give the, the credit to it was a gentleman well known in the South Jamaica area um by the name of Mr. C, his son who's also um a, a very, very close friend of mine, um, Deion Jones. Um, I said it to him earlier, and he initially, he corrected me, but then he realized and he came back to me and was like, you know what, you can be whatever you want. Because we were all in the gym working out, and like the conversation about the NBA came up. And I was like, I don't want to go to the NBA. And he looked at me, he's like, man, don't say that. You're going to go, you're going to make it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I, I I understood early, like like the difficulties, and, and just I think that's another thing too. People just don't understand how hard it is. Yeah, like it's hard, man. Like Tom Kachowski told us at Five Star Hansdale, this is the summer of '95. Some no, I I, I stand corrected. Summer of '94, summer '94, August, last week in August. The man said, you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning twice than making the NBA. That I haven't heard. That, that's, that puts that's it crazy. in perspective right there. Like twice. Twice. Not once, but twice. Like, it's hard. And when I heard that, it might have been at that time that's when it did, it did something to me. It, it really like, yo, that doesn't mean you can't get a degree. You know, because that same percentage of it is making it to the league. 
100% of kids in college basketball right now can get their degree. Right. But I, I sat on a call just last week, and they said, as hard as it to make it to the Division One level, 1% of those guys that make it to the D1 level, which is like 2,500 players per year, they have a chance of making a league. But 100% of the people in that pot can get a college degree. Yeah. So when I understood that early and understood that, you know, you know, my life will be okay if I don't make it. I just got to figure out what I want to do. Um, I was cool. You know, I was fine with that. You know, and it, it makes sense uh, that you bring this up because that, the reality is that is that is the reality for the majority of, of, of basketball players in college. You know, that they're not going to make it to the NBA. So now right. having that different train of thought and painting that narrative of like how difficult it is, it's important to get that message out there, I think, as well. I, I think people need to understand, of course, we want every, like, I mean, we would love everyone to make it, but that's not realistic. Um, and it could be your first goal, but I think 1B, not even just two, not, not your set, like 1B, which is more realistic of, okay, you do not make the league. What do you want to do? And I think, you know, that I was even, myself, I was in that crossroad of trying to figure out, you know, once I left the city, and like I said, I, I did end up going to North Miami Herman for a year. Um, it was one of the greatest years of my life. Um, where, where is that? North Miami Herman is in Western Massachusetts. Okay. Um, currently, John Carroll, um, currently runs the number one prep school in America. Um, he uh, consistently wow. on a consistent level, at least five kids per year. That's someone you should definitely. Um, I can definitely try to bridge you guys together to do something. Um, because he's a New York native as well. Um, and that's but, he qualifies then. That's, yeah, you he, gotta he, you gotta have that phenomenal phenomenal job um up at North of Miami, but I actually played for Bill Batty. We both played for Bill Batty at the time, um. But um, it was a prep year that I did. Um, actually, another brother of mine, um, um, Ed Lacayo, he's from the Bronx as well. He went to All Hollows and then went going to Lehigh. So he went to okay. Lehigh from Northfield, um, right before the whole CJ McCullum wave. And, um, <laughs> he always says he pays the way for CJ, but um, did a year prep school, and it was a great it was a great experience for me because at the time I, I was a very very young senior. You know, I was 17 years old. So in doing that prep year, um, opened my eyes to a lot. And even I tell people all the time, even with the prep year, you know, I stepped on the Hampton University campus. I was I was still 17 years old, mm. so I wasn't you know I wasn't. I wasn't old. I wasn't, you know, 19, 20. You see it now in the games that are played that, you know, with the whole reclass thing. That's why for me, it it's not a sensitive topic, but I I I I feel a way about it because I see the abuse of it. Yeah. You know what I'm I really do. I I, right. I know kids currently right now across the country that can go to a university right now and go to a great, great school, but they're talking about, oh, I'm gonna reclass. Like for what? Yeah, why? Because they like, feel like why? they get another year of like showing all, you know, the well, skills. Well, I think some people believe like they think the older they are, the more of an advantage they would have. Okay. But I tell people all the time, Devin Booker just finished his fifth year in the NBA. And Devin Booker is only 23 years old. Mm. So take it how you may. Like, it's not about being older. It's, mm. it's really not. It's absolutely not. It's about having a skill. It's about having an ability. And um, if you don't have that, there's no space for you. You, you can reclass all the times all you want. If you don't have that ability, you're not going to make it. I, I want to I I, I want. Hold on, hold on one second. Let me, let me just get this before I forget it because I've been holding on to this one and I don't have a pen to write it down. <laughs> um, so we were talking a little bit about um, kind of 
the the old school, right? The old school. Mm-hmm. And when I say old school, I'm talking about like the mid '90s when you when you came up um, playing high wow. school ball. Thanks for making me feel old. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm right there with you, bro. I'm 40. <laughs> I, I'm I'm right there with you. <laughs> but um, but when you when you think about this current generation of players, and I'm sp- speaking particularly in the New York metropolitan area, mm-hmm. there is. You, you have like, you know, a lot of the, the OGs, right? Like mm-hmm. the Terrence Wrenches, the Orlando Antiguas. And I know I just focused on St. Raymond guys. Sorry. But mm-hmm. those are the quickest that come to mind. But, you know, there's, there's a flood of them around the mm-hmm. city, right? Even the Kenny Anderson as, as an example. I think one of the things, and, and it's really difficult to do, but I think one of the things that would help kind of pass the torch from a historical context and be able to give these guys that history is being able to see, feel, touch, learn from these legends from their backyards here, right? So like So here's the funny here's the funny part in the disconnect cuz um I sat down with some uh, another coach and we broke down that disconnect you're speaking of. Many of the greats that taught all those guys you mentioned the game, they're either no longer living or they're not in New York City. Yeah. When they taught them the game, they taught us all to go. So you take Vincent Smith, when he all taught us the science of the game, it wasn't to stay in New York, unfortunately. Yeah. When Artie Green taught the Kenny Satisfields or the Andre Barrett's, it wasn't to stay in the city. The Abadads, Gil Reynolds, God bless the dead in Brooklyn, it was never to stay in your area. And many guys listened and they got away. So when they got away, that created the disconnect because yeah. now Terrence Rancher goes to Texas. Orlando goes to Pittsburgh. Um, Kamani Young goes to UTEP. They don't come back. Or if they come back, it's to reset, but then to get away because that's what we were taught. Yeah. So unfortunately, that historical piece you're speaking on it's 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 alive and well because again you have a generation of kids that don't bother to sit down and 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 just do the homework. Yeah, they're over. They're about three hundred and seventy. No, excuse me, three hundred and seventeen Division One programs. They're over one hundred and fifty coaches from New York. That many? That, easy. In in easy. in the in the D one ranks. In the division, I could I could run them off just wow. off the top of my head. Ron Sanchez, head coach of Charlotte, Adam Adam Cohen. No, nah, no, nah, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. I, I I don't I believe you. You don't have to you go through. It. Like like it's there, but if people don't do their homework to try to figure that out of where they come from, yeah. you would never know. Nah, you're right. You, you understand what I'm saying? You would never know. And and granted, all those gentlemen, the loyalties that they have to the state of New York and New York City, um, they'll give it up. You know, Rob Lanier is the head coach at, at Georgia State, and he's from Buffalo, but he understands the history. He wears the, the New York pride on his on his chest as well. He made a great point to me how the reason why the flow of New York has changed, that same analogy I gave you about guys going away, they're now having kids away from New York, but they're raising them with a New York mentality. Mm. So when you think about what I just said, who's the first player? Plays for the Brooklyn Nets with that that analogy. Kyrie. Oh shit. His dad the, left the, the obvious. Bronx. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like his dad left the Bronx. Right. 
He raised him in Australia, raised him in Jersey. And now when you see Kyrie, you think 90s, 2000 New York City basketball because that's how his dad raised him. Mm -hmm. But is he technically a New York City kid? He's not. Oh, right. But right. the mentality and the blood, it says everything about him. He's from New York. Shout so out that's the reality you get. And that's in, that's in Chicago. That's in Atlanta. That's in Houston. That's in California. You meet guys that when you see a certain flair to their game, you're like, wait a minute. Why what's, does kid look? What's the lineage? Where exactly. did that come from? And sure enough, if you have a conversation, somebody uncle was from the Bronx, somebody uncle was from Harlem, they from, you know, the pink houses in Brooklyn, they from <laughs> Coney Island. It's something. And and that's yeah. just the reality of it all. You know, Kyrie, now that you mentioned it, does he he brings me back to the the New York that was because it was all about handling the rock, you know what I mean, and breaking your man down. It's and not scoring. like today's yeah, and scoring, of course. Yep. He gets buckets, so he gets yep. he definitely gets busy. Man, let me tell you something. First of all, we've we've asked that question about the the departure of of the culture of of centered greats, right? And and, and the history not being here, and you kind of for me, I, I, I can speak for myself sure my brother feels the same you kind of put it all into perspective for us today because to be honest with you from a very fundamental perspective it makes sense that people take what they know and, and go you know go elsewhere go to texas or go wherever wherever the you know your opportunity goes you know i think it's a good thing but i think it's it's maybe this is up to us and or this generation now to kind of pull that back and that's what we're trying to do here mm -hmm. on dribbling dives kind of pull it back and bring it home in terms of just for an understanding for for everyone is sharing this vast knowledge and the vast uh, array of beautiful history that is New York City basketball. So I, thank I you think, for that. No, nah, not a problem. I think with this quarantine more than anything, and I'm glad you call it the quarantine edition, it, it's got to somehow be a way where this stuff gets marketed to the youth to make them understand you can't get in the gym. You can't go to the parks. So more than anything, there's two things that you coming out of this quarantine as a player, and I've said this on a couple other platforms. You should physically actually be better because you can get your push-ups in, you can get your dips in, you get your pull-ups in. You can do that all in the house. But then also your mind should be so much sharper because you should be watching. If we had to run a list, I'll gladly forward you guys a list of um at the end of this podcast to, to run it to kids to say, yo, listen, yeah, you know who Kenny Anderson, Ken we right. know those guys. We know Rafe Olsen. Like, but yo, do you know who Gus Williams is? Do you know who Vinnie Johnson is? Like, do mm. you know who Vern Fleming is? Like, they need to get because they have nothing but time. Yo, like, the I, microwave. I memo, Fleming, love it. I, I I heard an early memo that like school may not start until January. Yeah. Like January, and granted, that's in Texas. I've heard other dates in the New York area, but my thing is, if school does not start until then. There is no reason why a kid doesn't do his homework on Eric Malik Sealy, hmm. Brian Reese. Because I think, again, like you said earlier, people just think the NBA and they stop there. Now there's some guys that was all Americans that was really good. Yeah. Like, find out why Jamal Mashburn wasn't a McDonald's All-American, but Anthony Cade was. And that's no knock to Anthony Cade, but clearly Anthony Cade must have been good if he made it and Jamal Mashburn didn't. People mm. need to do their homework on a Pop Jennings. They need to do their homework on a Ralph James. Like these are individuals that were New York City greats. I need I need you to explain to me. I need you to. We need to talk about that Jamal Mashburn situation because I don't I don't know. 
So what happened? I mean, my memory, and it's crazy because Jamal turned it up late. Like, I think the Jamal that people see now or they saw at Kentucky or they saw in the NBA in Dallas, that wasn't Jamal Mashburn in high school. Like, Jamal was vastly out of shape. Mm. Um, He didn't look the part. He didn't pass the eye test. That's the only thing. That is the only thing I can think why he did not make it. it. But but you talking about they won the city championship. He threw them on their shoulders. He book bagged them. And he did what he had to do. And when he got to Kentucky, they were, I want to say he was a prop. He didn't play the first year. Oh, they were on probation. Then that's what they were on probation. So it was out of sight, out of mind. Mm. But when Jamal hit that stage and that legendary sophomore year when they played Duke in that game when Leighton hit the shot, which to this day, I can't even stomach to watch. Like when he fouls out that game, I stopped watching that game. I can't, I can't watch it because <laughs> it, it, it changed the complexion of the game. It really did. But that Jamal Mashburn and then the Jamal Mashburn that took him to the Final Four the next year that lost to Michigan, that wasn't the Jamal Mashburn at, at Cardinal Hayes. So that's the only thing I can think of. But it's 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 so many uh, baffling snubs of the McDonald American game. Um, he's one. Rod is another one. Like, Rod was the number one point guard in the country. Actually, you're right. He did talk about that on this podcast. Like, he was the number one point guard in the country. He didn't make it. So it's it's a lot of guys where you look back and you say, well, well why didn't he make it? Like, and that and that not? and that hurts like that stings because because yeah, yeah, yeah. Rod still Isaiah still feels a way about being left off the dream team yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. some guys where yeah. the McDonald American game snub it it some of them it fuels them it it it, it takes them to another level which overall that's a good thing but right. you know like we talk about rankings like it don't mean nothing to us as adults when people put out different rankings but to those kids it means something it 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 it, it doesn't sit well with them it bothers them. And I understand it. You know what I'm saying? You have to, you have to understand that because people have emotions and people have feelings too. So um, it's one of those things where it happens. But um, yeah, no, the city. Go ahead. I'm sorry, man. I just wanted to ask because I, you said that Jamal didn't pass the eye test for you. Mm-hmm. My question is because, you know, they were winning city, the city championship. It's a big deal. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. and you said that he book bagged them. So he must have been good. My question is, Maybe you didn't see him as a future NBA pro, but was he, in terms of just that time, would you say he was the best player in the, in the country? Because Well, see, this is what you got to remember or understand with the process to the McDonald game. Like, even now, and I'm quite sure then it was probably the same. The voting for it happened so early. Mm. Like, here's a real jewel that some people don't understand. By December 31st, the McDonald American process is over. They named it. They named the team two weeks later at the Hoop Hall, which is Martin Luther King weekend. So they so, base are they basing it largely on the year before then? The, and, and you know what's so crazy? That's not in writing, but for those in the industry that know it, for the most part, yeah. That's how it's observed. Like, yeah. I, I give that same note to any kid. Um, and it's sad because they had their summer and, and spring taken away from them. Right. But like, like take a kid like Malachi Smith. Yeah. Who had a, he had a great, phenomenal first team, you know, all Catholic league. The momentum he had, he almost needed the summer and the spring to possibly catapult himself into possibly that conversation because the 2021 class nationally is not strong. Mm-hmm. So he had just as a good of a shot as anyone that was a guard in that class if he had continued to play well. So I always tell kids, the, the William McDonald campaign, it almost starts 
the playoff run of your junior year through the spring, through the summer, and then maybe like the first 10 to 12 games of your senior year. And then know, and in those games, you want to hope that you're playing at national events. You got events like the Hoop Fest in Dallas, Texas. You have um, City of Palms down in Florida. You have um, Keith Stevens does a great event down in the um, D.C. The National um, National Hoop Fest down in um, Washington D.C. Um, those events that's going to garner a lot of the McDonald voters, um, a lot of media coverage, and um, you want to have like a forty point game. You want to have thirty five against someone good and show that you're just as good as whoever that they're claiming to be, whatever, and leaving a lasting impression with many of those voters. Yeah, and man. then, like I said, the voting is pretty much over by December 31st that come hoop hall, they're coming out with the list. That's a hell of a hot take. That's interesting. I no idea. That's, again, this is, man, listen, man, this is why we pick, we, we know how to pick them here in Dribble and Dimes, man, because you're schooling <laughs> us and the youth. You're schooling, you're the youth bulletproof. Nah. Right? <laughs> Hell yeah, no, man. Look, for real, like, because this is like a history lesson one-on-one. So, okay, so I, I get that. Like, because I, I, I think it's, in, in fairness, right, I think it's hard to predict unless we're wild to the floor, like a, maybe like a Shaq. I'm just throwing names out, out, of, out of the top of my head. It's, it's very, very rare to see a high school kid and project, yo, this person's going to the NBA for sure, and barring any injury or anything like that. But So I understand the Jamal Masterburn case, and I, and I love that you cleared up the whole uh, – the American, the, excuse me, uh, the McDonald's on American game, excuse me. But I, I wonder, in that time frame, did you see any other players that were, that you thought, damn, this guy now, this guy looking like, you know, even though they didn't win the championship, but was there anybody at that time frame that you could recall that was giving comp maybe to, to Joel but, but, but You got to remember this too now. We had five guys in the game. <laughs> so that that that's another you know there's there's some running factors with that mm. Jamal would have made six so at that time I got you they probably wasn't ready to say man New York get you know first of all people always think we're always you know inflated individuals when it comes to the game right um but you're talking about that time we had Derek Phelps we had Adrian Autry we had Khalid Reeves um we had Brian Reese and we had oh Andy. so that was that class. Oh, you had Khalid Reed. Ooh. So, so like Jamal didn't make it, but like you don't get into the you take somebody out because they're deserving as well. Gotcha. It's just it, it comes down to a number situation where it's like, oh, he didn't he didn't make it. <laughs> no disrespect. Like it's like, just the way the cookie crumbled at the time. Yeah, like it's unfortunate, but I mean. No, but now I see it. I do see now your point, man. Like that that's a stack right there. It's stacked right there. It's stacked. Right. Damn. Like, like, and that go, you know what's crazy though? That goes to anybody, even now. If you have it's unfortunate that they do the game so early. They and and the crazy part is the masses, and I mean the masses, some of them don't understand the process of that game. And how early you have to start prepping yourself. So you take someone like R.J. Davis, who had a phenomenal senior year this year. R.J. Davis didn't just turn it on now. Right. The same timeline I gave you mm -hmm. of R.J. turning it up, he did what he was supposed to. He played very well on the EYBL. Took it to Peace Jam. He played well there. 
He went to the Nike Academies. He did all these things, and he played. He did his part. Went to the NBA Top 100. Did his part. Like, he did everything to position himself. Now, when the senior year started, he had monster games. Monster games. He did. So, at the end of the day, when he got named to the game, for me, I wasn't surprised because it was like, well, look at his body of work. Tell me tell me who, if, you, if you're trying to take him out, then tell me who you would sub in. played equivocally, equally well, or if not better. Who played yeah. better, if not equal to his level of play during that same window? And you couldn't find about it. Right. You, 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 about it. You're, looking, you're looking at all the talent across the country, mm-hmm. right? How, and I'm assuming you're a one-man show. Is that accurate? I am. I am. Okay. I operate solely on my own. Um, so so how— That's what makes my service how, unique and— um. Among I, I, um, among other things that we're going to talk about right now, but like, <laughs> um, I I'd love to understand what the methodology is without you know, and I don't know if there's a secret sauce that's you know proprietary to you, but like, how do you how do you manage that? Because there's there's a lot to consume, there's a lot to to analyze, right? First first you got to ingest the game, right? Those games or however many you can get to. Then there's I'm assuming another layer of like networking that you have to do among your colleagues and coaches and all that like what is the process for you to be a good evaluator because you know well, i do- think the, the first thing you have to be you have to take out all biases and all ills that you have all right, um, i failed all right, you, that's you, it right yeah i'm done <laughs> finished but no 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 that that's actually a natural thing because i like i told someone before um often the time I think the best time I'm evaluating is I'm hearing about two good teams playing and I don't know anybody. Hmm. And I walk in the gym and I go watch the game. And I'm able to watch the entire game and see who's making a difference, who's standing out, who's fundamentally sound, who's physically, the size and the position, the coaching, all that. That's, you know, that's the best setting for me. But at the same time, that's like me, you know, you two guys come to me and say, um, yo, we want you to come to this game in the Bronx. I'm like, all right, who's playing? Uh, Kennedy's playing Truman, man. They got this kid. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a name. Um, I, I'm just trying to think of Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter, he's 6'5". He's a point guard. He shoot the lights out. When you guys put those disclaimers on Derek Jeter – now, unfortunately, when I go to that game, I'm expecting to see exactly what you guys told me he allegedly does. Right. And he now his evaluation is going to be skewed, not necessarily skewed, but it's going to have a curve to it because you guys somewhat pumped him up. And especially how how adamant you're about it. If y'all know I live in Texas and y'all blowing my phone up to come see this kid, come see this kid. And I told you I'm going to come. And I give y'all a date. And then y'all calling me every single day. When I get to this game, he this better kid be. better do everything y'all told me. Because now my feedback, when you come to me with well, what you think, I'm just going to throw back everything that you claim he could do that he didn't do. Right. So you better off just saying, yo, come check this kid out. See what you and think. Leave it there. But you know, but isn't it? I feel like it's a bit unfair for one game to be the kind of like the kind of gist of a, of a player, because I think, you know, in fairness, players do have, you know, lapses here and there. I mean, it, I, I mean, 
I'm not saying in big games because that, that means a lot, right? I'm just saying in your average game. And I think, I don't know, and I'm, I'm asking this because I'm making that comment, but I'm asking you in terms of your what you do as far as an evaluator, how much consideration do you give that game from like, you know, when you're when you're trying to assess a pool of players that you may be un, not, you know, not biased towards anyone. How much how much do you factor in? It's just one game or like or does that one game matter the most? That's all I'm about to say. Don't don't get it. Twi- I'm not writing him off after that one game. Gotcha. I'm I'm just I'm going off what you told me Derek Jeter does. Gotcha. That I'm, I'm, I'm just going off. You claim he was six five. He run the point. He shoot the lights out. I get to the game. He's posting up. Or he's bringing his he's bringing the ball down like Magic Johnson in 2020. No, that's 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 not a point guard. Y'all allowing him. There's a difference between being a point guard and allowing someone to dribble. Mm. <laughs> there's a difference. That's a good one. <laughs> I like a that difference. One. I like, like people that. don't understand. Like again, and and I'm gonna reference these two gentlemen because they've had a profound effect on my evaluation skills and the way I see the game. But between Vincent Smith. And Tom Kachowski, like the little jewels that they've given me over life or in conversations that I've had, I've taken those jewels and I've added it to my own repertoire of, of, of understanding the game. And Vincent Smith would always tell me as a point guard, I mean, with his brother. And I mean, again, those are two great bars with his brother and Kenny Anderson. Like a real point guard, though, can dominate a game without scoring. Mm. And, you know, when I was younger, I was mm. like, well, what do you mean? And he would he would break it down. Understanding the tempo, understanding the pace. Again, everything is not everything is not about scoring. Now, granted, the game is in a different space now where point guards are scoring the ball. But for me, when I evaluate when someone talks about a point guard, like you should be able to dominate a game without scoring. So, like, unfortunately, not picking on Steph Curry, but I don't view Steph as a point guard. He's someone that's allowed to dribble. He's not <laughs> setting other people up. Right. He's not done. If you and it's unfortunate because he's probably one of the greatest shooters we ever seen. So I'm not I'm not discounting Steph. But with that being said, if you were to take shooting away from Steph, what does he bring? I think we saw it in the playoffs against Toronto when unfortunately Kevin was out, Clay was out, and now Toronto is playing the line. So they're basically telling him, "You gonna have to go in there and make a layup because we're right. not allowing you to shoot the ball." And Steph Curry looked like he had kryptonite in his pockets mm-hmm. <laughs> because he they knew he was shooting. They were playing his jump shot, and he couldn't affect the game. Right. You, you know, you make a, a hell of a point. Um, I, I do – this is just my opinion. We can look up the stats. I don't know the stats offhand. I no, don't. We, don't, we don't fact check I, here. So you can make all them shits up right now. <laughs> no, no, but I'm just saying, like, I, I think, in my opinion, I think Steph is a good facilitator. I think he can. I think the thing is, though, he's such a great shooter. We tend to overlook all his other weaknesses. It kind of dwarfs all his other weaknesses, in my opinion. But I, I think it's it's tough because we live in a in a in a in a world or in an NBA where scoring is so valued that everything else could basically all you could do is score. That's fine, you know. I look at James Harden. The way you said that, when you say that, James Harden, he's a scorer, right? He can pass, sure, but outside of that, is he is he making his team better? He's he's taking half court freaking three point shots, the man. Yeah, I don't know, I, I don't know. I'm not going <laughs> to debate you. You're the evaluator. You probably saw 300, you know, times more video than it, me. But I'm just throwing it out there from a. But let me just say this one quick, quick comment. Then I'll see what you have. 
When you said that a point guard, a true point guard, could dominate the game without scoring, the name that popped up to me as one of my favorite point guards of all time is Jason Kidd. Your mm-hmm. thoughts, sir? I mean, that, that, that's a great assessment because if you look at some of Jason's greatest games, he's not necessarily scoring. He's getting people easy baskets. Like, Jason Kidd is responsible for more players getting max contracts Mm. Under his and his passes, wow. that 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 speaks for itself. Oh, that's an assist right shit. there. That's an assist. Hold on, I got to clap. Speak for itself. We got to clap for that one. That's shit. Like, like, look who we got paid in Jersey. Look who he got paid in Phoenix. You could argue he got dudes paid in Dallas. Mm. I mean, that's just what Kid did, and 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 it's funny because the biggest knock on Jason Kid coming out was what he couldn't shoot, right. Yeah, he left the game with, I think he got like the most threes attempted or most, some crazy stat that contradicts that, that, that quote unquote uh, phrase about him. But no, Jason Kidd could definitely dominate a game um, without scoring the ball. And I mean, that's getting in the passing lane. That's talking. That's again, a great point guard can take a player who may average six and he can get them 14. Hmm. Like, he knows where they like the ball, where they can make shots, and he has a leadership quality in him that he'll have his teammates run through a wall. I need, you know, I, people don't understand, in, in, the 90, in the 96 McDonald game, Shaheen Holloway, another New Yorker, head yep. coach at St. Peter's, he was the McDonald game MVP. He didn't have the most points. He didn't, but if you look at that game, and how he got guys easy baskets. They ran the floor. He made it look so simple and so easy. He was a game MVP. And this is a game with Kobe, Jermaine O'Neal, Tim Thomas, Lester Earl, Steven Jackson. All those guys were in that game. And, and, and it's Felipe, right? Know, Felipe was on there? No, Felipe was 94. Okay. Felipe was Ooh, 94. Shaheen was um, 96. Oh, no, Tim Thomas. Tim Thomas yeah, was in that Yeah, Tim job. Thomas was in that game. Yep, Tim Thomas. But, like... You know, people were trying to rev on who should have got that. No, oh, Shaheem should have got the MVP. The person who won it got it. Mm. It is what it is. Like he did what he did. But that's always that's that will always be my lifeline assessment of a point guard, though. Can like, I like, can, can I take you back for a second? Because I, I want you to explain to us that moment when you decided. Well, we're gonna go back. Also, I want I want to get into just your journey from high school mm-hmm. to college and, and hoops mm-hmm. and, and that thing. But like basketball. Illustrative reports. Mm-hmm. What was the the catalyst for you to say, you know what, this is the lane that I need to go and exploit? Like, h- how did that come to be? So, so to to give you the Reader's Digest version, and it's funny because nobody knows what that is no more. Reader's Digest, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm bringing it up. Like I said, um, went to North Carolina. Um, from there, I went to Hampton University. Um, I, I was. I came in in a year where literally the one-year renewable scholarship um, was in play. Um, Steve Murphell, who actually works with um, Terrence Richard out at Creighton, he was the head coach at Hampton. Mm. Um, signed me late, signed me in the summertime, go to Hampton, um, ready to take on the world. You know, at that point, still thinking I'm, I'm going to the NBA. And the realities of a freshman kind of hit. Um, it didn't go, peaches and cream. It didn't go the way I thought it should have. And um, you grow frustrated. You know, you're away from home. Don't get me wrong. Hampton University is a great university that if I knew better now, um, I probably would have stayed, which, again, I'm always going to bring it back to New York Connections. Um, Jamal Robinson, who played at McClancy as well, 
played at Virginia. He's assistant coach at Hampton right now. Mm. Um, who's doing they're doing a phenomenal job in the Big South. Um, but um, I didn't want to be there anymore. Um, at the time, it was a bunch of New Yorkers down at Angelina Junior College. Um, good friend of mine, Eric Chatfield, he was there. Eric played at LaSalle. Um, and they just went to the JUCO National Tournament. Um, they had lost to Steve Francis and those guys. But um, he was like, yo, bro, like, if you don't like it there, come here with me. You know, we'd have both been sophomores together. Um, and I took him up on that. Got me down there. Third game of the year. Actually, we're playing against Flip Murray. He was at Meridian Junior College. Wow. Um, we were playing at Bossier Parish in 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 uh in, um in uh Northern Louisiana, um, which is right outside of Street. It's like right across the bridge from Shreveport. Okay. But um, playing against them, very next game, I break my wrist. Oh. So, oh. Broke my left wrist. <laughs> it's a scaphoid bone. I still got the scar to show to this day. Oh um, hell no! And I'm out. I'm out for that whole year. So now my boy Eric, actually my man Kareem, um, Kareem Bartlett, he was there as well. Kareem actually went to Cardinal Hayes. He's from the Bronx. He um went to Cardinal Hayes, um, and he too ended up down at junior college down there. I mean, it was a bunch of us. We had for it to be a Texas junior college, we had seven guys from New York City mm. on the team. You know what I'm saying? Damn. So they had the plug, and the comfort was there more than it was in Hampton. Right. So, but I'm out that year. So then I come back the next year. Um, Eric's going now. He he transfers on to New Mexico and um all is going well. Um playing well. And um this is when I learned this was a early, this was a harsh but but truthful lesson for me. Um this was going into 2000. And um the coaches wanted us back on campus on December 31st. And um uh, my parents actually drove from New York to Tallahassee during the Thanksgiving event. And they told my coach, like, you know, we don't feel comfortable about the Y2K scare, yada, yada, yada. Oh. We would prefer if um, Dane comes back, you know, after the new year. And this is when you learn that, you know, especially when you're in a college program, what the coach says, the coach means. You know what I'm saying? But I'm listening to my parents. I end up staying and literally captain of the team, was leading the team in scoring, whole nine. He kicked me off the team. And I'm like at a huge crossroads. You're talking about I came here, I left Hampton. Um, what am I gonna do? Um, one of the most hurtful days, disappointing days, because to you know, to have your moms cry and want you to come home. And um, at that space, we was going into the second semester. I literally had 12 hours before graduating. I knew I couldn't come back to New York because I knew if I'd have came back getting my education, I probably never would have fulfilled that. Mm. Maybe I would have, but too much distraction. I would have been against better judgment. Me coming back home and just being home, um, and 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 a little embarrassment for myself as well. It kicked in. Um, I didn't want to do that, so I stayed. Um, I, I had a I had a garden angel. Um, by by the name of Miss Haynes, she lived in um Lufkin, Texas, and um she took me in. She was like she had three young boys, and she said um I don't want anything from you, um but I just want you to help me take care of my sons. You're a young man, respectful. Um, people tend to gravitate towards you, and I feel a positive energy. And I literally slept on her couch the whole second semester of, of that sophomore year. And um, But again, I'm still out of a scholarship, though. I have nothing. I was supposed to be playing to gain that. Um, school year ends. I'm back in Houston. I'm working out because 
that's another great thing. I mean, the basketball guards have been with me. You know, people often talk about basketball guards. Um, they've been along with me this entire journey because um, I just had so many things afforded to me when I thought it was falling apart. Another layer always stepped up. So at that time, instead of coming home every summer, you know, and playing on the, 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 the crucial summer grind, you know, going against people like, you know, Sean Bell, Big Mouth Rye and those guys, I was always in Houston. Um, at the time, Kenny Smith was living in Houston um, with his son, daughter, and his wife. And his brother, Vince, was living in Houston as well. And we all just stayed at his house. <laughs> we worked out twice a day. Um, we did what we were supposed to if we did. Kenny would give us one of his toys, and we'd ride around the city, scooping something, <laughs> doing whatever. That was our <laughs> routine every summer. Myself, Tali wow. Brown, good friend of mine, Raheem Johnson, um, who also went the JUCO route. He, he was first-team JUCO All-American. Let you go and scoring actually at Long Morris in Texas as well, but that's what we did. So I'm doing that, working out, but yet I don't have nowhere to go that coming August. And again, late July, get a call from Texas State. Uh, Dennis Nutt, he had hired Greg Young. Uh, Coach Young is now at UT Arlington to this day. Um, we had played them before I was removed from the team, and I played well. I had 25 and 17, and um, 17 boards. I wasn't passer or nothing like that. <laughs> no, that's all, hey, that too shabby, you was the black hole? And, nah, I was no black <laughs> hole. Not at all. Not at all. Um, but he he basically stood up for me. He said, oh, listen, you know, Guy Davis, who's the, who's the head coach at the time, and he's now the athletic director at Angelina College, Um, he's a hard ass. He's an old school, you know, just take no shit kind of man. I don't know if I could say that. Of course you, you can. Know, but, of course you can. Um, You're damn right. It's about time you let his <laughs> shit out. You know what I mean? <laughs> but um, Coach Young knew what kind of guy Guy Davis was. And he ended up, he found out, like, yo, Coach, what really happened? And he told him. He said, so wait a minute. The captain of your team, leading scorer the whole night, you kick him off the team because he came back from Christmas break late. Like, he don't drink, he don't smoke, which I still don't to this day. And he was like, no. He, he felt what he did was – Justifying. Getting control of the team. We had some young Wildcats, and he thought about doing something like that, which, you know, and it let me, it, it taught me the business early. You know, that, you know, again, when somebody tells you to do something, you you have to do it. And um, when he said that and he got the clearance on that, they immediately got me on the line. Um, I had no other options. I took what I had to take. And um, ended up going to Texas State. Had two great years. Um, I felt great college experience. Um my senior year was kind of, it was marred by, you know, 9-11. Um, I also lost a great friend, God bless his soul, Daryl Bell. He was killed. Um, mm. And my senior year was just kind of rough. But at that point, I knew the deal that I made with the basketball guards, and it was just about getting an education. So at this point, I'm like, oh, cool. Like, I'm graduating. I'm, yo, it's over. I'm not thinking about the NBA. I'm not thinking about overseas at this time. I'm like, yo, I'm just graduating. I'm getting out of here. Like, it's what it is. So I graduate. May 12, 2002. Um, and that summer, I uh, I stay in Houston. So now I'm, I'm trying to go overseas now. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen. No problem. I come home October 30th, which was the day after Jam Master J got killed, which was the day after my birthday. Yikes. Um, I come back to New York City. Um, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm good. I'm refreshed. I mean, I'm, I'm back in my neighborhood. I'm back in Left Rack. I'm even hearing the ignorance of people telling me, oh, well, you didn't make it. And I'm scratching my head like, wait a minute. I just played basketball my entire life. I've never had to pay a dime for my education. 
and I got people in their mindset telling me that I didn't make it. Like, wow. Like, it goes to show you the ignorance of some. Uh, what, what you just said is the, the pinnacle on this podcast, meaning I look at what you just described as the championship, right? Like, yo, you played at a high level the game that you love. You were able to use that to go and, you know, get an education for free. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you took advantage of that, that's, you know, unfortunately not always the case. But those that do take advantage of that, bro, like that's that's what you're supposed to do. Like, right. they putting it in, the gods put it on your lap. You got you to gotta, you gotta flush that, right? Like that's, that's the sad, I think that's the sad reality. And I guarantee you, if you guys poll many of the guys that you either have on your platform or just different guys around the city that you know that played at some of the most prestigious universities in the country, ask them, say, wait a minute. And really ask the four-year guys too, because it, it'll surprise you how many guys that went to four-year schools, they have no re- like really don't have an excuse because they were doing summer school and the whole night that did not graduate. It's a lot. That's unfortunate. It's a lot. And it's not shaming them, but no. that narrative with our youth and 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 even some of our younger adults, they gotta change that. They got they gotta change that. They gotta fix like stop going to these schools and not graduating. You need to graduate. Yeah. Like it's important and it needs to be done. And um yeah. I mean I, I'm just I couldn't have it any other way. You know, I was gonna be the first um male on my father's side of the family with the urban last name to graduate from college. So for me, I had those motivations and I knew I had to do it. I had to, you know, I knew I wanted to be married and have kids one day. It's something that having those conversations with my sons now who are, you know, seven and three, that one day we're going to be able to talk about. So it's it's just so important, the education piece that I think is often forgotten by not just New York City players, but players around the country. Yeah. There's so many guys, you see them later, mid-20s or mid-30s, they're on the AAU scene. And they were great players. And you get to talking with them and you figure out, yo, what's going on and what you're doing. And then they want a job. And then you ask you, did you get your degree? Oh, man, I need a couple hours short. Like, like, what are you talking yo, about? Yo, that's the worst. Like, get it done. Like, what are we talking about? Right. Like, there's I no would... reason why, like, that should be lingering out there. No. Now, granted, you might have had a child. You may need a job. But, it, hey, it, it, it's part of it's not going to be easy. I have a question. Granted, when you should have did it, it was easy. It was. And now it's probably even harder. I have a question regarding that because I think, um, and you can correct me because if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of stud- uh, student athletes, they choose a school that they're going to potentially get the most playing time in, let's say, for an example, mm-hmm. but may not have the push academically. Like the coaches may, let's say, for an example, uh, Derek Rose is, is the, probably the first case I can think of off the top of my head. I think Kevin Garnett, too, where I think someone sat in for Derek Rose on his SATs. Uh, it looks like they, he just kind of like, you know, got by in college just because he's Derek Rose, which I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that kind of, that sell in, in college sports overall depicted more upon their athleticism or the production on the court. And then a lot of those, they lose, you know, they either get filled up with their egos and probably get distorted about it. Do you think that could be a reason why some of these players do not graduate college? No, because at the end of the day, someone like Derek Rose, I mean, he was a special talent. Probably if he could have one out of high school, he would have. 
Um, yeah. He was only on campus for one year. Um, it, it's not about, you know, the alleged rumors of someone taking the test. from. It's not about that. It's what does it mean to you? It's what it, it's what does it mean? To, what does an education mean to you? If you know um, that you may not be in that lane where you're going to make two hundred and fifty million dollars off a shoe deal and the education does not matter or you can pay someone to have that education to make those decisions, whatever. But it's all what it you know, my mom didn't have a degree. My pops, he worked on Rikers Island 25 years. He didn't have a degree. So it's something of putting the joy and the smile on their faces. You know, I knew I knew the, the first smile for my mom to know that she wasn't going to have to pay for me to go to college was huge. You know what I'm saying? She was she worked at Bellevue Hospital for 41 years. You know what I'm saying? So it's one of those situations where it's like, what does the education mean to you I, as an adult? And of course, I think different now, because, again, I have my own kids, but it's not too far off of how I thought when I was younger. What does it mean to you? Because it does mean something. Don't Absolutely. don't let anyone tell you, oh, man, that degree don't mean nothing. Do a lot of people get degrees in fields that they don't work in? Sure, they do. Tons. We know that. That happens all the time. But at the end of the day, me and you can both be on a job, and if another opportunity presents itself, the first way they're going to box you out is say, yo, do you have a degree? Oh, you don't? Oh, you can't get that. Facts. We could be doing the same thing. We could be doing the same exact thing, but they're literally paying me double what you make because what? I have that piece of paper. So, yeah, it's a um, fact. Shout out to to your mom, by the way. Um, My brother and I, we were both born at Bellevue Hospital. So, really, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not the psych ward. She worked in labor and delivery too. Really, (laughs) maybe. I got you know what? I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look at my um my birth certificate. I think it. Well, I think it might name the doctor, not not the. I mean, support man, staff. my mother got a memory like an elephant. She could probably, man, she don't forget too much. But, ah, you know, that'd be hilarious. Not, she, she definitely, she worked at Bellevue my entire childhood, my entire, up until like the last eight years, she um she moved over to Elmhurst. Okay, Which is Damn. close to the left frack and close to the Queens. So. Elmhurst is going through it right now with all the corona oh, stuff. They try to call, they try to call people back at her. Yeah, yeah, which is true. Which is unfortunate and praise to everyone going through their own, um, COVID trials and tribulations up in New York. Um, yeah. It's just definitely been a devastating thing um, and affecting so many people. So Absolutely. But but I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I know I, I know we went off on a tangent. Go ahead, Emilio. I, yeah, I have a question. It's, it's actually a question. Uh, that a touch, we touched on this earlier. Um, I thought of the name Jason Kidd when you, when you talked about, you know, a point guard that could dominate the game without scoring. Did you have anyone in mind that you – like we're thinking about, or was there, or is there a few point guards that you've seen for the past or present? Doesn't have to necessarily be from the NBA that fit the kind of description of what a true point guard is, in your opinion. Well, I mean, like I said, again, taking that jewel, you know, from from Vincent Smith, it was it was. Anytime his teachings came to us, it was never specifically about said person, because again, his brother, you know, regardless how you know. His posture may be now, but he was called a jet for a reason. Like he got to the basket in breakneck mm. speed. Same right. thing with Kenny Anderson. He did things at a breakneck speed. But it was also like I never forget after UConn won the championship in 04. The very next year, Jim Calhoun, they asked him, you know, he had all he had the Karan Butlers, he had the Ben Gordons, the Meccas, all these guys. And then he asked him, they said, Well, who's the one player you, you know, you miss? And he said, Tyler Brown. Mm. And I'm not saying uh, that because again, he's from the home team, but it was, he said it. He said the the comfort he gave everyone of getting to their spot and he was going to deliver the ball for them to operate 
as a coach, there's not a more fulfilling feeling to have when you can put that ball in someone's hands and they're going to execute exactly what you need to have done on the court. So over time, like I said, that if you look at Rajon Rondo, Rondo mm. used to do what? He used to dominate a game without scoring. Like that was a point true. guard. That's why when that. people use that term, true point guard, like I get it, but it's like John Stockton. He used to mm. dominate a game without scoring. So it, it, it's it's one of those situations. If you look at the MVP year that Steve Nash had, as underwhelming as the scoring was, that second MVP that he received, he averaged like 16 points. But they had the best record in the league, and he dominated the game without scoring. So as much flack as he gets that, oh, Shaq should have got it, Kobe should have got it. I mean, there's politics to the NBA MVP, if you understand it and you know it, how to get it. Your team got to be winning. You better be one of the top two teams in the league. And usually the best player on that team is going to get the MVP. There's been exceptions to it, but that's not how it works. I have a quick question regarding John Stockton because um, he's interesting to me for a lot of reasons. The major one is I look at today's point guard, right, and they're mostly scoring point guard, excuse me. Do you think that John Stockton had the capacity to kind of be like a modern-day point guard in terms of being a big-time scorer if he really wanted to? What's no, because I don't think that was in his DNA. I mean, you're talking yeah. about he had some of the highest assist averages in a year ever, all time. Like, he's got to have if, – if, if the top five, Stockton may have two, if not three of those years of the highest assist averages for a year. That's just what he did. And I think in his own greatness, even if he was playing now, his numbers might be astronomical now, and he would still just have that dominance on passing the basketball. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't just the pick and roll. I mean, he knew how to get in the teeth of the defense, make the right reads with the proper crisp pass. You know what I'm saying? You got a lot of his assists, like they said, did come from the mailman and someone filling the lane. But now with the extra high level of shooting now, can you imagine him playing with a Clay Thompson? Like, mm. come yeah, on, right. like he—he he, now he's getting assists at the rim and he's getting assists from the outside. Line, you know, man. he was feeding guys like Mel Turpin and Carl and Mark Eaton. Can you right. imagine if he has a sniper like a Ray Allen or Reggie Miller or Clay? Like, come on, his numbers would be through the roof. So I, I always think when it comes to comparing great players, for me, um, and it's just another jewel that I learned from my mentors, I don't think anyone would be diminished. They would just accelerate to the time. They would just adapt to the times. So when right. we look at Bob Cousy in the 50s or the 60s, and people say, oh, man, he only dribbled with one hand. Yeah, and he was great at doing that at that time. Yeah, that was relevant. Trust and believe if he played in the 70s, 80s, or 90s, he would have adapted. His greatness would have adapted. So I can't I take that. away any, anyone's greatness from their time. It was just their time. It is what it I, is. I love that. I love that because too many of us want to compare errors Mm-hmm. I got, we have a, uh, my brother and I have a mutual friend that always says, oh, I don't count Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain. Why and not? I'm like, I always think to myself, like, that's kind of stupid. Even Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, which I want to throw in there, which I think, in my opinion, I think he's the greatest center of all time. I favor Olajuwon. You said lot. player or center? He said center. Center, center. Player. <laughs> no, okay, you're saying player. You're saying player. <laughs> player. Right. All right. But go ahead. He's from from the school of G. Moody also. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. yeah. So I ain't mad at that. I ain't mad at that. Like, it's tough to 
it's tough to argue with the man's resume. Like, he dominated college, dominated NBA. Like, what more do you need? And the point being is, is that people don't regard him when they talk about the le- like the tops. Like, they're not looking at these three particular centers. And I'm like, like guys, like, you, you're not just great one, you know, in your time, and then you can't be great in another. That doesn't make any sense. Like, the only exception, and I'm going to throw a name out there. You tell me what, what you think, right? I know the day, the game of the center today, right, is much different even than in the 90s and, and years prior. If we had a Shaquille O'Neal today, do you think he would adapt to the game or the game would adapt to him hmm. in today's game? I'm talking about right now, Shaq, I mean, coming out of LSU, in your opinion. He would have adapted. I mean, he was he was great in his own space. I, I think you got to remember something now. The Shaq from Orlando to L.A., he, because of the way that the league was played, because it was still a very physical game, Shaq put on some weight. Right. He started getting stronger. He started Shoot. carrying that. Like, that early, like, that was a scary Shaq. Mm. Like, I ain't talking about the three-peat Shaq. Like, them years that they were actually losing in L.A., Yeah, and I think that was the first two or three years, that physical being of Shaq was scary. Mm-hmm. That was that was the year when he threw. Uh, what's my man from? Uh, he went to Yale. Oh man, Chris Dudley. Dudley. Yes, he, Chris Dudley. Like, I knew like, you were like, gonna say that. Those years, Shaq, they didn't win it. That was a scary dude. Yeah. So my thing is like he would adapt it because like the Orlando Shaq, he was still slim. If you talking about coming out of LSU, he could have just stayed that friend. But what I want you to tell your boy. <laughs> who, who likes to disregard? No, this is a real one. Okay, okay I can add this, and you can remix it. However, okay, find out who he believes in, right? <laughs> you mean and Jesus, if Allah, God, or in, if he believes in God, Jesus Christ, Allah, whomever, whomever <laughs> in his holy realm of who he believes in, just ask him. You didn't see Moses. <laughs> He split. He split the Red Sea, right? That, right. So you can believe that, but you don't want to believe what came after him. So don't don't disrespect. Don't don't disrespect the grace just because you didn't see him. That to me, that's a weak cop out to me. That I really okay. like on it's a serious note, like that's a weak cop out. I like, agree. Man, I didn't see him, and man, they didn't play. No, because especially when you talk about Kareem, like you, I, I did the homework on it. Like the the amount of centers that Kareem had to go against. In his career, like I got footage, and 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 I, I'll tag you on it. Um, dribble and dime. I'm gonna tag you on Instagram with it. They got highlight footage of Kareem at 37 years old in the NBA All Star game, getting double teamed. Now I got, think about I that. See that. Yeah, that's tough. Like how you 37? You're an old man getting double teamed. Getting double teamed in an All Star game. I've never seen Mike get doubled. I've never seen LeBron get doubled. I've never seen Isaiah, Dominique. I mean, we Kobe, T-Mag, Tim Duncan. Like, we can run. I've never seen nobody get doubled in an All-Star game. And he's still <laughs> getting it, surveying it, and hitting it with the hook. Going over the right shoulder. <laughs> you can call it what you want. It's going over the left shoulder, and you're going to take it. Hold so, on, Dan. Dan, we, we, didn't, we didn't talk about B.I.R., and we we approaching okay. t- almost the end of this episode, so I I really want to spend some time talk about how so, how it got, came to be and what you're doing with it. So so basically, in my travels, when I um when I moved to Houston, I I I was completely away from the game. I wasn't I wasn't 
hooping. I wasn't coaching. I wasn't doing anything. I was actually a juvenile probation officer. And um, I was traveling. I was fortunate enough to travel around the world. I was going to different countries, different places, different continents, just taking in life. I was young. I didn't have any kids. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have a girl, nothing. Um, I love women, but at that time, I didn't. I wasn't committed to anyone. So, I mean, I was pretty much international gigolo, if you want to call it. For the <laughs> lack of a better term. Yeah. But um, every um summer, at that time, I was I was two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I'm I'm meeting my good brother Kamani Young out in Las Vegas. Um, this is when you know Vegas was definitely rolling. It was the epicenter of hoops. Um. And he had some really good players. He had Javon Pinkston. He had Corey Edwards. He had um, Ashton Pinckney. He had uh, Devin Collier. He had all these guys on his team, and his New Heights team was really good. You know, one year they upset Tristan Thompson and Corey Joseph. They were considered the number one, you know, AAU team at that time in the country. Beat them. Um, beat a DC group um, that had uh, Quinn Cook was younger. I'm trying to think of the. I want to say Marcus Thornton or one of those guys that went to do, but to make a long story short, um, it dawned on me how there were no one evaluating that looked like us three. Um, you see the coaches mm. side, you go to any event, you know, the coaches in one area, evaluators in another area. And I'm, I'm just like kind of puzzled. I'm asking everybody like, am I the only one that sees something wrong with this? Like, why not? And no one ever had an answer. And um, I won't even say, I can't remember who probably said it, and it may have been sarcastic. It's like, well, won't you start one? And um, when I left Vegas, the summer of 09, like, that's when I started, like, brainstorming a scouting service. <laughs> and I'm just like, why not? Like, when I look at my history, guys I came up with, I mean, my peers in the city, whether it be Ron Artest, Speedy Claxton, Lamar Odom, um, Eric Barkley, Raheem Johnson, Reggie Jesse, like all my peers, Ramel Lloyd, Bevan Robin, um, Chudney Gray. These are all my guys. These are, when we see each other, it's, it's a family reunion. Um, it's guys that we still speak to this day. It's guys that when we see each other, we know each other for basketball. Like growing up in the dwellings that we've come from, you know, there's typically three type of people. There's a dude that's on the block getting money. And from knee high to, to a grown adult, they known for getting money. There's a second guy who he was known for having all the girls. Mm-hmm. Well, they were, you know, blind, crippled, crazy, eight to 80. They was always around women. And then you had the athlete. So I felt in the latter because it was like I was always around the game. Whether it was with my brother, whether it was with, you know, the AU teams I ran with high school, I was always known for the game. And, um, I wanted to do something about it. So fast forward, Final Four, 2012, having dinner um, with Ron Clario and um, Royal Ivy. We're at, we're at Houston's on, on Peach Street. And every coach that came up to the table to speak to them, they stopped and spoke to me. So then Royal just turns to me and he's like, fam, you got to do something. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you, you got to give back to the game some way, somehow. It's like, you've been around this too long. You have a lot to give. You have a lot of history. You have a great understanding of the game. You need to, like, start a scouting service or something. Now, again, this had been talked about, and I heard that before, and I kind of waved Royal over, like, eh, whatever. Fast forward the same night, you know, I, I don't think there's a gentleman on this planet that um, 
when visiting Atlanta in a single man's capacity <laughs> doesn't uh pay their uh respects their, their respects and in, in, in taxes to, to, to the gentleman's club. Right. And um we attended a spot. Uh, I never forget Diamonds of Atlanta and another good friend of mine who I, I've met over the years. Um he was in my wedding. I was in his Malik Rose, current um assistant general manager. Nice. Um he meets us there. Cause at that time he was working for Philly and Royale was playing for Philly. And when I tell you in the same notion, they didn't rehearse this. They didn't even know we was talking about this. Malik made up the same reference that Royale did. He said, bro, you, he's like, you got to do something. He said, cause you just have too much in between your ears that like you just out here chasing the worst kids in the city of Houston as a probation officer. Mm. And I was like, eh. But now it's in my mind because this is two people. We weren't together, said the same exact thing. So something got to get. So um, the next morning I woke up is heavily on my mind. And I just started writing every school that I, that I basically had a relationship with. I had a relationship with a coach and it was a basketball relationship. That's it. I think any people have to understand in this basketball world on both the negative side and the positive side, um, it's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. The grimy people run together. The clean cut, good dudes run together. They all know each other, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And um, if you don't have any relationships, it's going to be hard for you to operate in this industry. So um, with that being said, I, I, I hit the ground running. So you, you, up, you, uh, you, I mean, you put that list together. How big was that list? I had 27 schools. Wow. 27 schools. And we're talking about college programs. College programs, 27 schools. And, and the crazy part is, like I said, I hit that ground running. So that's April of 2012. And it was Van Macon. And he can attest to this because he's assistant coach now at St. John's. He hit me in August. At that time, he was at Rutgers. And he said, man, you did a great job this spring. Um, Yo, send me your invoice. And I'm like, what? He's like, you want to get paid, right? And I'm like... At this point, I didn't cover the whole spring, summer. I'm not even thinking about getting paid. Right. Because it's what I really wanted to do. And then what really made it real deep when I was at a crossroads was at that time, that particular year, the NCAA started um, where you had to get a scout service approved. Accreditation. I missed the deadline. So now, here it is. I'm like, shit, like, what am I going to do? Do you really want to do this? If you do, you're going to have to do this and not get paid. Mm Mm-hmm. You're going to have to sleep on some floors. You're going to have to ride some buses. You're going to have to do all this more because I just did not have it financially because the biggest thing I think in the scouting industry, you got to be there. You know, you see a lot of, you see a lot of dudes and, and, and I don't, and I'm not with the name calling, but you see a lot of guys who, you know, who they fraudulently, they talk about players. They always got an opinion, but they sitting at, they're sitting on their couch. They're not in the gym. You know, granted, I get it. Some guys, yes, you can watch film, yeah. but nothing ever, ever can replace you watching someone with your own two eyes. Facts. And that's something I actually got from Tom Kachowski over the years. It's, it, he's like, there's never a reason. If you didn't see somebody, you didn't see him. And there's no reason to lie about it. If you didn't see him, you didn't see him. You're only one person. Especially, right. you know, he's someone who over the years, his scouting service, he was on his own. You know, he he didn't have a team. He, You know, Tom... Still does his reports on typewriters. Yeah. Some people don't know that. Yeah. If, you, if, if you've never seen one of his reports, 
You know what I'm saying? He doesn't have the internet. He, he's not, he does everything by hand. So some of the jewels on operating alone, I definitely took from him. And then in my case, um, I was by myself. So it's like, it was one of those situations where just being honest and doing my job is what it is. And I went ahead and pushed forward and, and got through that year in no time. And then, you know, the invoices started rolling in, my reputation of doing a good job and being honest. Um, any school that has my service would be the first to tell you, I'm not about them wasting time. Um, if, 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 it's, if it's a week, if it's a couple of days that I could tip them off because that, that could save them money on a private jet. They're going to see Derek Jeter at Kennedy. Right. When I'm like, look, man, that kid can't play dead in a cowboy movie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so why, why don't, don't, don't waste the private jet, you know, Penny Hardaway or Juwan Howard going to see that kid because he can't play. Mm. And, you know, of course, this generation, oh, you hating on it. It's not hating on the kid. Because I tell people at the end of the day, my loyalty lies with every school that I have and telling them the, the God honest truth. Your, your best. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like, and that's, I think, what people need to understand. Now, your opinion is one that holds a lot of weight because it's backed by A, experience and B, a proven methodology that pays dividends. Right. Right. Uh, right. And, and I've seen, you know, I, I had the opportunity to kind of just read around the Internet and your crystal ball predictions you you got a pretty substantial record in accuracy, and you know I'm, it's funny because here's the funny part about that I've I've gotten praise for it and I've gotten criticized for it. Of course, that's normal. So, but here's the thing that some people don't understand that game that they play. So before, speaking of the crystal ball, it used to be whoever got the drop first. How long you knew that you were accredited to that. Mm -hmm. So if I know that Derek Jeter, he's not going to Syracuse, and everybody thinks that in the hood, Derek, Derek Jeter is going to Stony Brook. And I put that down now, and then he commits to Stony Brook next March. That makes more sense, right or wrong? Right, of course. That, that, that makes you look like you in the know and you know what's going on. You know because what you're talking about. I said in May of 2020 that he was going to Stony Brook, and he committed to Stony Brook. In March 2021. In March of 21. That's right. But then they changed the rules to just get it right. Uh, so me and my man, and I don't know, me, we laugh about it. Uh, Andrew Slater, who's another good guy, um, is in the New York City area. He works He works with um, Tom Kachowski quite a bit now. He's always seen with him a lot. Um, it was like me and him took it over. Like we was at the top of the chart because we had so many relationships that we were learning stuff way before even people that work for 24 seven mm. knew what was what. And, um, like literally one night they just changed it on us. <laughs> so now it's not even about how early, you know, so if I know that Derek G is going to commit to Stony Brook, you know, March 1st, 2021, I'll just wait to January 30th. You know what I'm saying? Well, I wait to February, and then February 28th, put Stony Brook, and then it you you accumulate the same points. So if yeah. you look over the years, it it varied different, and I was ranked different spots. But I mean, it's a great it's a great tool. I know a lot of coaches look at it, and I know a lot of fan bases follow it. I get inboxes about things all the time, and they look at me like I'm crazy. But um, I don't ever divulge how I know or what I know because you never know what a person knows. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, I just. 
I just try to save everyone. And I've, I've just carved that niche for myself um, amongst college coaches of, of having that information and knowing that um, if they call me and they need something or need an understanding that I, I have something for them, I can point them in the right direction. Um, I can give them clarity on a lot of situations. And then just my network of relationships, whether it is New York or whether it's Texas, whether it's Atlanta, Florida, um, California, um, has has afforded me the fortunate lifestyle that I have, and I'm and I'm and I'm thankful for that. You know, people think this is one of the biggest things, and I tell anybody aspiring to have a scouting service, um, like I don't have to deliver anybody. A school right. does not have to get a player from me. Like that's not how it works. That that's not. That's not the purpose of a scouting service. If you look at the t- definition of a scout, a scout is someone who goes to a particular area, gathers information, and brings it back to their team to know how to maneuver and operate. So mm-hmm. it just so happens my team is 150-some-odd schools around the country right. that I bring them back information. Now, what they choose to do with it is what they choose to do with it. Well, I have, a, I have found two quick questions, um, final questions. One because you work with so many schools, is there ever a conflict of interest? Nope. How does that work? How, how does that not they all, So part of the rules with the NCAA is you have to disseminate the information all at the same time. Um, uh, okay. so, so when I put out a report, and I'll gladly send you guys like some of my sample work so you can sure. see what it looks like and what I put together. Um, they all get that information at one time. It's not leaning towards St. John's. It's not leaning towards... Penn State, it's not right. leaning towards Texas. It's you'll see my comments on said player. If your staff seen them or not, it's either going to confirm or it's going to Conflict. enlighten you on information that you did not know. Mm. Now, what you choose to do with it is on you. It is with it. Like, Kamani Young's my brother. He's at Connecticut. He tells me all the time he doesn't read my reports. <laughs> and the reason why. I know he's probably not lying. It's because when someone comes up that I put in my report and he comes and asks me, I always tell him, go back and read the report I sent you back in January. <laughs> You've known about this guy if you read my report. <laughs> but but there's somebody else who, when I put that report out in January, they'll call me instantly to say, yo, how good is that kid Samson Johnson at the Patrick School? How good is, you know, Alan, um, AJ Griffin at Stepping That? You know, it, it's those type of things. So, um, yeah, it's not a conflict because what you choose to do with it and how you choose to move, it's on you. It's not on me. But the purpose of me sending that information, getting it out to the proper channels, that's my job. That's all my job is. Well, I, okay, you had another question? I just have one. My, my final question. Um, mm-hmm. has, has it, The reason I'm asking this question is because you named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar mm-hmm. um, as your you know the best player of all time. What is your, round it out for me, your next four top five players of all time, in your opinion? I mean, I think it's just, you just go by the best at at each position. Um, okay. I think Magic, Magic is the best point guard. Uh, Michael Jordan is the best shooting guard. Um, LeBron James is, is the best small forward. Um, Tim Duncan, best power forward. And, and Kareem is the best center to me. Um, I don't, you know. You, you was a weasel, son. You, <laughs> you did amazing right now. You answered that shit amazingly because... Well, no, I, I, cause so I, I want to go back to even add, because again, whether it's this the conversation with your homeboy that wants to argue about Kareem <laughs> this, this is something and I had this conversation and some people don't 
Y'all might not even like it when I initially say it, but just hear me out. Okay. Any of those top five conversations, whether it's rap, whether it's hoops, football, baseball, whatever. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, to get to an answer, you have to set a criteria. Okay. Because Fair. if okay. not, it's always going to be preference. Yes. It's For always sure. going to be preference. And, and you can't argue that. Also, what comes with that, when people are quick to say, well, it's my opinion. It's, <laughs> I, I can have my opinion. And this is the thing that people may not like when I say this, but it's true. Your opinion can be wrong. Mm. It, 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 here's my point. Where, where you, where's your origin? Where are you from? The Bronx. From the Bronx. Parents no, but Dominican. like, where's your family from? Dominican. Dominican. Dominican Republic. Perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys have probably been there countless times. Right. Mm-hmm. If I go to DR one time and I say I hate it, it was whack. The food was corny. The women was whack. The food was whack. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I don't have enough information gathered that you guys been going your whole life. Right. So I tell people all the time when you scream that, yo, but it's my opinion. Your opinion can't be wrong based on the information you gathered. Now, if I go to DR 10, 12, 15 more times, now I have a better grasp and understanding of what I didn't like, why I didn't like it. And, and, now and you can still not like it. A better opinion. You, yeah, exactly. You still not like it, but you'll have facts supporting from your experience. Exactly. Right. Instead of just a small sample size of, yo, it's whack, blah, blah, blah. So when people always hit me with a, yo, but it's my opinion, I hear that. But opinion is not an emotion. <laughs> you don't you mm. don't wake up with just your opinion. You wake up and you feel a way because of something. Right. You can't breathe. You can't, you know, it, it can be anything. You have a headache. It's 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 reasonings behind that. It's not just cause. So when people always get into those arguments and that, and they go to move it, but it's my opinion. That's true. And I'd rather you say that's your preference because your opinion could be wrong. Now, just tell mm. me it's your preference. But if we sit down at the end of the day and we create a criteria, there'll never ever be another argument about top five anything. Because like when you break the criteria down, when I said Bahrain being the best player ever, he was dominant on all three levels. Without without peer, yeah, yeah. You know I can't argue that. Like like he's won more championships in college than he lost games. Ooh, I never looked at it that way. Damn, yeah, that hurt my heart. That hurt you my understand food. what I'm saying? Like, think that was about a rip that. So Dang. he's won more championships, and he only lost two games. Dane, I thought I was prepared for this conversation, but I, I wasn't ready. Nah, Yo, Kareem, Kareem, Kareem always, there's so listen, many, man. so many, so many very valid takes like because like, you know you you talk to people and people again back to what you just finished saying right the opinions and sometimes people have very compelling opinions but and i'm not calling it spin i think you do uh, an eloquent job at describing what you're saying like you're you're very thoughtful in what you're talking about and and it mm-hmm. tells you know you could tell you have plenty of experience I mean, so with that being said so we so i i think there's no argument he's the greatest college player we ever seen and then when you if you really want to add high school, I mean, he's lost five games. He's lost five games in high school and college combined. Mm-hmm. Five games in over eight years. Right? That's so crazy. I think high school is not a – and then, I mean, when you look at his NBA resume, like, what are we talking about? Yeah, no. Nah, <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not talking about nothing. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to figure out. Like, he was in a league 20 years. He was an all-star 19 times. Like, come on, man. Six MVPs, like. Well, six rings, like, come on. 
You know what? I think we got to make a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar last dance. <laughs> yeah, hey, that'd be dope. Hey, listen, man, and 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 I mean, I'll gladly. I mean, I we could do this all day long. I mean, we in quarantine. If y'all want to do a part two, we can definitely dwell into that because I think yeah, his yeah. narrative of who he was as an individual was 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 definitely, you know, his faith in Muslim and Islam. You know that that made people look at him a certain way. He he even at the age he is now has has owned that he could have went about things a different way. Sure, he was, he was confrontational, um, right? And and you know it is what it is. But I mean, I think I think that's the biggest travesty of like disrespect when like he's not talked about. Mm-hmm. Like I I get I get I watch Jordan I get it, but it's just like to not mention Kareem or they go from Jordan to LeBron. Like for him not to even be in conversations is like like. Come on, man. Yeah. I, listen, brother, it's people like you that keep the game alive. You understand? Because you speak in truth. The power. I'm serious. No, because it's like... It's you like be surprised, a, man. Some people don't like the truth, man. And that, but that's all right. You listen, <laughs> some people you, don't like the truth. You know what? But you know why they say it's the truth? Because you piss some people off. Because they don't want to hear about it. You know what I mean? But that's I mean, all right. Is. It we is what it is. some shit up. You know what I mean? We got to say That's why I said when people, I'm trust me, fellas, the next time somebody hit y'all with, well, man, I didn't see him, say, man, you didn't see Moses in the Bible. Yeah, no, nah, oh, it's stolen. That shit's <laughs> you stolen. You believe in the Ten Commandments, don't you? That shit's stolen. You believe in the Ten Commandments, don't you? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be like, according to the good word of, of Dane, you, did, <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't see Moses either, motherfucker. You didn't see Moses. Exactly. <laughs> so, Dane, but before we get out of here, because uh, I got, I know you got some family responsibilities, and, and I do as well. Um, when, when I'm sure you get asked a bunch, right? Like, because people talk a lot about what to do after the ball stops bouncing. That that old adage. Uh, having a scouting service um, is one lane. Right, that mm-hmm. that you've been able to carve out. Um, what do you tell, or what would you tell um, kids that may not even be thinking about that part of their lives? Right, uh, and it doesn't have to be about scouting service in general. But like, what's the mind frame that you would counsel them to kind of be in in order to be able to deal with life when that happens? I tell people, that especially if they came through the basketball avenue, um, we have enough basketball players. We have enough trainers. We have enough coaches. We don't have enough general managers. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough analytical people. Um, I was fortunate to go up to the Sloan MIT conference this year. And, um, oh, yeah, you know, book, book was up there too, I think, right? Did you see right, book up there? People talk about the analytical nerds and this and that. But you know, at the end of the day, yes, they, they run and dictate sports. But it wasn't a whole lot of us in there. We have to occupy that space. I think, I think, and when I say we, I'm speaking of the culture, I'm speaking of the urban culture. We have a way of doing things that when we get involved with it, we put a twist to it and, and people take a liking to it. The moment that they allowed Steve Stout into some of these boardrooms and he was able to twist the marketing approach to a lot of these companies, the gravitation of, of, of urban and black culture went to a whole nother level. When they allowed Jay-Z into these sport meeting groups, or these agency meeting groups, it changed the culture to another level. So at the end of the day, I think more of our guys that, yeah, it's cool to play it. I salute anybody that plays it. I always say you play the game when you're supposed to, when you're in high school and you're in college. But as you start going beyond college, like start thinking beyond the player. Think about those decision-making 
executives, you know, the director of basketball operations, the uh, general manager, director of scouting. Like we need more of us in that space because we do not, we do not occupy that space. So, uh, you know, we having so many travesties in the world today. We had the situation down there in Georgia where the gentleman, you know, was killed for jogging. Yeah. And when you look at the judicial system and the gentleman was let go because he, you know, he worked with the district attorney, we need people in those spaces. It, it, we, we have to get over getting mad at the cops because, okay, they're going to get arrested. Like, so what? George Zimmerman was arrested too. We see how that turned out. So my thing is, I think for more of our young brothers and sisters is, you know, when you get, even if you get into coaching and you become a basketball operations person, don't think your goal is to get to the third assistant, second assistant, and head coach. No. Like, take that director of basketball operations position, go become the associate AD. Because as powerful as, as what's, what's so crazy is, and this, it's not far off, but as powerful as Coach K is, and he's probably one of the most powerful people in sports, but that athletic director, Mr. White, and I know him because his son is the head coach of Florida, but he's one of the most powerful people in college sports as well. Mm-hmm. So people have to look beyond the court sometimes. You know, look behind the camera. Look at those positions, you know, and, and strive to do that because you can do it. You know, we have Sharif Abdul-Rahim, who's the president of the G League, and he's working at the NBA office. So we're getting people, but we need more people because, we have again, we got the court covered. Right. We got the sidelines covered. We need people upstairs in those suites. We need people in those boardrooms. That's what we need. So that would be my motivation to some people to say, yo, and it's a sexy job too. You know, (laughs) it is a sexy job. So, I mean, it is what it is. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dribble and Dives. If you like what you heard, please leave a review or comment wherever you're listening to us now. Check us out on social media as well. We're live on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. On all platforms, you can find us at D-R-I-B-B-L-E-N-D-I-M-E-S.